2 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 14. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet crafty fellows that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the, witness, by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealing with you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thanks, Jack. Morning, everybody. Welcome, and welcome back to those who've been away. Good to see you again. Uh, it's a funny time, school holidays, we've got the kids around, and um, 
a number of people away and then even more away through illness. Um, and I, I'm conscious there are a number of people within the church who are facing some of the hardships of life in, in different ways. Uh, we're experiencing our weakness. And uh, it, that's been the big theme through this letter of 2 Corinthians. God's power at work in and through our weakness. And um, as we were thinking last week particularly, God um, intends for the, the weaknesses that we experience to, to drive us in deeper dependence on him. And uh, so can I encourage you to do that as you rub up against the hardships and difficulties and feel your weakness. Let that drive you to dependence on God, to know his strength and power. And, and let that encourage us to make it a priority to come to the prayer night uh, on Monday, 1st of August, to come and express that dependence in prayer uh, to the Lord. I'm not going to be a, uh, around on that Monday. I'm going to be in the UK, uh, leaving in two weeks' time, two weeks today, taking Darcy and Katie with me um, back for a family wedding, um, but then back two weeks after that. Shall I pray again? And then we'll look at this passage. Our Father, we thank you that while we are weak, you are strong. And we thank you for the presence of your strong and gracious spirit with us this morning. We pray that he would be our teacher and our helper and our comforter and our encourager. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are almost at the end of our journey through 2 Corinthians. We began last year, covered the first five chapters, and then we've picked up this term in chapter 6, and here we are right at the end of this letter. A letter in which the Apostle Paul has really bared his heart. We've seen his deep, deep concern for the Corinthians as he pleads with them to stick with Jesus and the gospel. He's reminded them what true gospel ministry is. It is a glorious thing because the gospel reveals the glory of God in the face of Christ. The gospel reveals the love of Christ who died for all. Through the gospel we are reconciled to God, we are justified, for God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And through the gospel, as we gaze on the beauty of Jesus, we are transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. So for Paul, the gospel is a glorious thing. God's glory is revealed. We're reconciled to God. We're transformed into the image of his son. But God has chosen for this treasure of the gospel to be carried by and proclaimed by people who are very weak. Jars of clay is how Paul describes himself. To show that the power of Christian ministry is not in Paul, it's not in us, but it's in the Lord. And so Christian ministry will often look unimpressive. Christian ministry will involve suffering and hardship and persecution. Paul wants the Corinthians to understand this so that they won't be taken in and seduced by false teachers who've worked their way into the church in Corinth, who it seems were, were very outwardly impressive, but who were teaching a different gospel and leading the Corinthians away from their devotion to Christ. 
And so Paul is urging and pleading with the Corinthians not to be led astray. And in this final section, we see once again Paul's Christ-like love in action. It's a love that pursues, a love that pours out, a love that builds up. It's a love that grieves, it's a love that challenges, and a love that prays. I think this has been the most striking thing for me as we've worked through this letter of 2 Corinthians. That for Paul, ministry is not just about teaching the Bible. It's not just about discipling people. It's about love. Doing those things with deep heart love for the people that he serves. We are all called to Christian service in different ways, whether it's teaching the youth and kids here at church, or it's witness to friends and colleagues, or it's our encouragement of one another in our DNAs and gospel communities. We're all called to Christian service. We're all called to Christ-like love. And so this morning, God is calling each one of us to a life of pursuing and pouring out and building up grieving, challenging, praying. So just six points for our final talk, but we'll work through them quickly. Firstly, love pursues. True Christ-like love pursues. Paul says, verse 14, that he's ready to visit the Corinthians for the third time. Now we know on his first visit, that's when the church was planted and established. His second visit, as we've seen, wasn't so special. It was painful. And yet Paul is ready to come a third time. He just will not give up on these Corinthians. He says, I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. Paul is utterly committed to these half-hearted believers who have doubted and disrespected him. Paul sees himself as their spiritual father and takes parental responsibility for them. He will not let them go, because love always pursues. The Lord Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The Lord Jesus pursues us, despite our half-heartedness, despite our doubts and disobedience. When you experience the loving pursuit of Jesus, it empowers you to pursue others in love. Secondly, love pours out. Do you know when you come across a verse in the Bible and you think, I don't remember that being there. That happens for me with verse 15. Paul says, I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. What an incredible statement. What an incredible description of Christian ministry. Paul says he's willing to give everything he has to give himself, to be spent for these Corinthians. Such is his love for them. He is going to be poured out for them. And love doesn't depend on the other party reciprocating. As Paul says, if I love you more, will you love me less? In verse 16, he returns to the topic of how he conducted his ministry free of charge. And probably on the suggestion of the false teachers, that the Corinthians seem to be accusing Paul of pretending to be generous while actually seeking personal gain. You know, crafty man that I am, have I tricked you? Paul's response is straightforward. He says, guys, you know the truth. 
We didn't exploit you. We acted with integrity. We love you. I'm willing to give everything for you. I'm pouring myself out for you. The Apostle John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love pursues, love pours out. Thirdly, love builds up. This is getting at the goal of love. Love always seeks the good of the other. Christ-like love pursues and pours out in order to build people up. Paul asks the Corinthians in verse 19, what do you think we've been trying to do here? He says, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. Everything we do is for your strengthening. He said it before, and he says it again in 13 verse 10, that the authority that the Lord gave him was for building you up, not for tearing you down. You see, the purpose of Paul's ministry, everything he did, everything he said, everything he wrote, was to see the Corinthian church built up, strengthened, growing in maturity. Gary Miller says in his commentary, our involvement with the people of God locally and across our city, our nation and our world must be controlled by this simple fact. God is building his church. And it is our responsibility and our great privilege to fall into line with that agenda. It'll mean here at Barney's that we continue to pursue our vision of being a church that helps people to become and grow as followers of Jesus. That's what we're all about. We must never lose sight of that purpose. It'll mean for each of us that we pour ourselves out to this great end, giving of our time, talents, and treasure to see the church of Christ built up. That's what love does. That's what love seeks. And so if there's no desire or plan for evangel evangelism, it means we're short on love. If there's no effort being made to reach the unreached people of this city and our world, then we're short on love. If there's no concern to see our kids grow in faith and knowledge and likeness to Christ, then we're short on love. If there's no desire for our community to increasingly be shaped by God's grace, growing to maturity in Christ, we're short on love because love builds up. Fourthly, love grieves. It's hard to miss the fact that Paul is genuinely anxious about his relationship with the Corinthians. The flip side of his longing to see them built up is a deep sadness when they appear to be drifting away because love, Christ-like love, grieves. He's worried, verse 20, that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I'll be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, 
sexual sin and debauchery in which they've indulged. Paul's concern is that when he shows up, all his past efforts won't actually have accomplished anything. He's, he's scared. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul says he's afraid. He's scared that there'll be dysfunctional relationships or sexual immorality or both. He's like an anxious parent waiting for news that his child is okay. He's emotionally involved. He cares desperately. He cares for these Corinthians even though they've been the bane of his life. And so he rejoices when they're on track and he genuinely grieves when they fall away. See, Christian ministry for Paul was not just a profession, a job to fill his nine to five. Paul's life was bound up with these Corinthians, with the people he served. He loved them with a love that pursues and pours out and builds up and grieves. How can we do that? How can we have a love like Paul's, have a concern like his for the people that we serve? Well, we need to die to ourselves, don't we? We need to press into the truths of the gospel and allow God and ask God to so assure us of his love and affirmation that we gradually stop worrying so much about ourselves and see beyond ourselves to genuinely love and care for others with all the joy and grief that that entails. Which brings us to the fifth component of Christ-like love, which is that love challenges. Following on from what he's just said about people who've not repented of their sin, Paul says in 13 verse 1, This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now he says that, he's quoting from Deuteronomy, I think because he's seeing his three visits as three witnesses, if you like, three pieces of evidence. I think that's what's going on. Anyway, verse 2. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. Paul says, look, we, we've talked about this before. I've, I've warned you. And if when I come and see you again, I find there's still sexual immorality in the church undealt with, I'm going to have to confront it. I'm going to have to confront those people. It wouldn't be loving to overlook that kind of deep-seated problem. In verses 3 and 4, Paul says, as he's been saying through the letter, yes, we're weak, but the power of Christ is working through us. And so for us, knowing our own weakness, we, we mustn't allow our weakness to keep us from saying what needs to be said. I wonder how you're going in your DNA groups. Have you had that permission-giving conversation? Have you said to each other, if you see something in my life that concerns you, I want you to say something. I want you to ask me about it, because I know I need that. Please be gentle, but don't be silent. Paul wants the Corinthians to have assurance in their faith. But he knows if they're living in unrepentant sin, then they forfeit that assurance. 
And so he challenges them in verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Paul's pushing them to examine themselves so that they'll either be assured that Christ is in them or they'll be convicted that he's not and they'll respond in repentance and faith. So what would it look like for us to examine ourselves? In our DNA on Monday, we were looking at John 15. Jesus says there, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruits. If Christ is in you, then there'll be fruit in your life. There'll be obedience to Christ. There'll be repentance of your sin. There'll be love for your fellow believers. There'll be joy in your salvation. To the degree that those things are present in your life, take heart. Be assured. Be encouraged. And if they're not, well then come to the Lord today to receive his forgiveness and his empowering grace. Jesus says in Revelation 3, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Love challenges. Finally, love prays. Have a look at verse 7. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not so that people will see that we've stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. Paul doesn't really care what they think of him, but he does care deeply about what they think of Christ. He cares deeply for their standing with Christ. And his prayer and his final encouragements in verse 11 are that they will turn away from doing anything wrong. They'll turn away from impurity and idolatry and sexual immorality. That they'll be fully restored. Restored to faith in Christ. Restored to joy in the gospel. Restored to unity with one another living in peace, being of one mind, encouraging one another to follow Paul in the way of the cross, knowing the power of Christ at work in their weakness. Verse 12, Paul says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people send their greetings. Now, a holy kiss speaks of purity and unity and affection, doesn't it? The close family relationships that the love of Christ creates within a local church and between churches. What does that love look like in practice? Well, it's a love that pursues. It's a love that pours out. It's a love that builds up. It's a love that grieves. A love that challenges. A love that prays.
That's the kind of love that should characterize our relationships within the church. The kind of love that should characterize our ministry to and with and amongst one another. So it's worth asking ourselves, and I I wonder to, to what extent you've experienced that kind of love here at Barney's. I wonder to what extent people have pursued you, called themselves out for you, sought to build you up, grieved, challenged, prayed for you. I know my own ministry here has certainly not always been characterized by this kind of love, and for that I need to repent. But there is, there is one who has loved you and me. There is one who pursued us. One who poured himself out for us. One who always seeks our good, always seeks to build us up. There's one who grieves when we disown him and challenges us to bring us back. There's one who never ceases to pray on our behalf. If we're going to love one another, if we're going to serve others with this kind of Christ-like love, we need to first know Christ's love for us. And if we're going to grow in this love for one another, then we need to grasp more fully the love of Christ for us. And so Paul concludes with this Trinitarian blessing. This is what the Corinthians needed. It's what Paul needed. It's what we need. A deeper knowledge and experience of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Now give us a moment in quiet to, to reflect, to maybe consider who God is calling you to love and how he's calling you to love them. Father, we come uh, to you conscious of the the poverty of our love, the lukewarmness of our love, the half-heartedness in our love for others. We come to you in repentance, seeking your forgiveness, your cleansing and your power to change. And we pray that this morning you would show us the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we share in communion together, we pray that your spirit would make the love of Jesus so real to us that our hearts would be changed, that we would be shaped, molded, so that we might be people who love like him for his glory. Work in us, we pray, so that in our weakness, your power would be obvious to all. For your glory's sake, amen.